this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, Pete? Welcome back to Rebounding Safety. Today is the last episode, the delayed uh, slash late last episode of the quarterly co-host. Let's jump into the intro and we'll talk some more about it. Let's go. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution or one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risplit. What's up, Pete? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast that's attempting to do exactly what it says on the tin. So if you're new here, hit that subscribe button, like button, follow button, whatever it is on the platform that you are listening slash watching on. My name is James McPherson. McPherson? My name is James McPherson, and I'm your host for today. I'm also the lead consultant, MD, and founder and all the fucking fancy titles that we put on shit nowadays of Risk Fluent, which is the health, safety, and culture and fire consultancy. This is behind rebranding safety, so if you need help with that stuff, go and check it out. So, we're late. I apologise. We are so freaking busy i'm gonna do another diary episode after recording this intro i've had record this intro on my to-do list for an embarrassingly long time i tried to do it on my phone as we went and it cut off and it didn't work and then i just kept forgetting 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 and, and you don't care you don't care you just want content and we have built that rod for our own back and you deserve that content but at the moment we're slipping a little bit so slight apology for this to be late the next apology is we don't actually have a quarterly co-host for the next quarter. Um, so we're going to pause it uh, for a little bit because it's, it's surprisingly hard to find somebody that wants to do it. Um, it yes, yeah, just it's hard. It's a lot of work, actually, to to try and get guests on the podcast and particularly with people that are going to do three episodes. And it's just it's a lot of work. Um, so quarterly co-host paused, paused for now. Hopefully got some value out of the ones we had. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing them um, for those that we've had. Thank you for everyone that's done a quarterly co-host. I'm kind of glad we're finishing on Tom because it's one of my favorites. Um, but without further ado, let's jump into the last ever. Well, not ever, but the last for now courtly co-host and the last courtly co-host episode with the amazing tom garrity tom welcome back to the podcast last time you breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> oh no it's good to be here um, yeah i'm looking forward to this one i've, I've really enjoyed the past two and uh, yeah i think it's going to be a culmination of all yeah. our We've had we've had quite a lot. Of, I've had quite a lot of people um, say oh, I've listened to it. It's been really good and really enjoyed it um, and got a lot from it. Um, so. Thank you very much for coming on and um and for staying on for free episodes, surviving free episodes. Yeah, um, yeah. So we're gonna start off for a short period of time, kind of talk about the relationship with the psychological safety and, and workers don't work to imagine, and then we're gonna dive into some questions that we got from a LinkedIn post um where we asked people to give us their questions on psychological safety. Before we do that, I just want to give a quick introduction to yourself in case there's any weirdos out there that like to start series halfway through or at the end. That's a good chat. Thanks. So, yeah, yeah. So, my name's Tom, Tom Garrity. I'm the founder of psychsafety.com. Uh, and we, so my, my, my passion, my, it's, uh, yeah. So, I'm basically a psychological safety geek. <laughs> That's what I do for a living. I geek out about psychological safety and, and, and get other people excited about it as well. Um, and yeah, my background is in 
sort of originally scientific research and then technology and to a roundabout sort of way I've landed here. Nice, nice, nice. So work has done works imagined a very kind popular popular topic. Um it but but for those that don't know, it's kind of essentially a gap between the the blunt end of the organization, the boardroom, the senior managers, uh, of how we think work is done and what what we what problems we think they're dealing with and what solutions are working and not working and so on. And then how work is done, which is the reality, right? I think that I think we when we talk about this, from my from, from even from my company's point of view, when we talk about this, I think everyone talks about this from the perspective of a very big organization. Your your BPs and your, you know, these massive, massive organizations, which is very clear that workers done work to imagine is gonna be it's obvious, isn't it, really, in a way, like yeah. yeah. How is how is Mr. BP have any idea what BP in London are doing? It is it, it's not possible. The sheer scale of it, it, it kind of a given. Yeah. I, I've seen this manifest in tiny organizations as well. Really yeah. small organizations, family run businesses where the boss is is involved. He's involved. He she, he or she is hands-on, you know, really small business and still. I have no idea that something was going on or something was done in this way or that was a problem that they experienced. I would I would argue, in fact, that a lot of the time, I mean, you could be an organization of one. You could be like just me. Like, I reckon, I reckon that the way I imagine I make a cup of tea isn't actually the way I make a cup of tea. Such a good point. Such a good point. Have you ever tried? Um, I think it's uh, it, the, the point say do um thing that I think the Japanese train drivers do it where you yeah. point it you say so if you were driving a car you would point at the gear stick you would say move to second gear then you would move it to second gear but you would also have to point at the clutch and say pressing the clutch all at the same time right if you ever do that you really like I nearly crashed my car trying to do it once <laughs> honestly and when you really break stuff down it's really interesting yeah. we do a lot we're doing a lot of work at the moment with with a lot of like smaller businesses that are there's a lot of conversation about rams i don't know if you've, you've heard the, the phrase rams yeah. so risk assessments method statements and 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 really common in construction trade-based and engineering based kind of role and th- this seems to be coming under a lot more scrutiny of late which is good um so we're doing so much work around this i'm doing one recently and it sent over a load of method statements and it was it was like turn up at tower calm tower do yeah. job get down tower yeah. and i'm like in your head because you're a very competent person you've been rigging and doing all this stuff for a long time that makes total sense and you're thinking it's riggers that are going to read this so they'll, they'll know what i mean right they know how to climb a tower yeah no well on the day that they're not sure on the day that that they they don't know or maybe they climb a tower in a very different way to you and mm. i think actually when you start really writing down how you climb a tower you might as well go Oh yeah, I'm not sure I do do it like that, and and I think that exercise of, of kind of having to write an instruction and process is really helpful as well. But yeah, very true. I think maybe we we all suffer from workers done workers imagined in our own way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think you know if you if you imagine you know sort of illustratively if you imagine these these two different things, you know, in some contexts, 
they're really far apart. There's almost no overlap sometimes in some contexts. And in other contexts, like like me making my cup of tea, like the, the gap is like the, the, the overlap is huge. There's only a tiny difference between work is imagined and work is done. But in in groups, in teams, and and particularly where we're where the person who for whatever reason needs to accurately imagine how work is done. Maybe they're writing a policy for it, or maybe they're uh doing assessments for it, or maybe they're just trying to improve the way work is done, right? So maybe yeah. they're, you know, they're trying to do some efficiency work or or or, or something, or whatever it is. Maybe you know, recruit more people, whatever it is. And somehow they've got to understand how the practitioners do the job. Yeah. And, and that's where it all gets interesting. That's where it gets challenging, right? Doesn't it? Because mm. there's so many reasons why why trying to get the the practice out of someone's head and into someone uh, another person's head fundamentally you're never going to get like a one-for-one match you're never going to get a complete perfect overlap between those two things because there's always going to be differences these people are maybe experts this person might not be an expert they might have done a job before they might have done it 10 years ago but they might have never done a job so they might be a lay person if a surgeon explains to me how he cuts off someone's leg he's going to simplify things he's going to you know he's not going to name every like artery and tool and things yeah. he's going to say basically so, turn a cap so leg off done, done, done. yeah <laughs> yeah and so like we so we simplify things for lay people we might uh we we probably tell a different story to our colleagues who we feel safe telling one story to maybe and we and we tell a different story to our boss because we know you know their motivation is slightly different they're going to want to hear slightly different things uh we might tell a different story to the health and safety inspector or the or the compliance person or something else Maybe and probably not intentionally. We just know who they are and what context they're yeah. in. Yeah. And so, have yeah. you seen any of Stephen Sherrock's work off the back of this? So he breaks yeah. this down a little bit more um, into those the four. What do you call that? The diagram when you have the circles overlapping and shit. Like a kind of Venn, like a multi-Venn. Yeah, like a multi-layered Venn. And then I don't know if you've been keeping an eye on his LinkedIn. He's doing this. this like quite cool little album cover. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. And I kind of don't understand it, but I like it. That, that, exactly. That's kind yeah. of where I am with it. I'm like, yeah. there's nowhere near enough information in this, but I yeah. fucking love it. Like, keep doing it. Yeah, like um, I don't get it, but I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How much? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's, um, I, I've noticed just now as I'm saying it and I'm looking at one of them, they've all got QR codes on. So maybe there is some more information if you're doing that. But th- he's done one for workers, done workers imagine. And it's actually added more layers, I've noticed. Yeah. So there's four things in there. So there's, there's workers imagined, workers prescribed, workers disclosed, and workers done. Yep. And I, and this, and I, I love this because, because, so yeah, in fact, let's let's dive into each one of those because how yeah, work is imagined is how we think people do the work, either how we think other people do the work or how we think we do our work. Like it's just yeah. how we imagine it is. Work is prescribed, is like how it's written down, how it's like uh, how it's how it's how it should be done, like the policy or procedure or whatever rules and yeah, all of that. Yeah. yeah, how it's disclosed is the conversation we have, how we describe the work as it's done. And that's interesting. And that's what I was just saying. Like we describe it in different ways to different people in different contexts. Yeah. And how the work is done is how it's actually done. And 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 that's like the one that's kind of impossible to actually describe in in, mm. in fullness. Yeah. yeah. 
And then, and then he's. We've also got to one. One of just having a. I, I like the album thing because I can literally just look at the one. Like takes me like two seconds, and I'm like, oh, and then it, it sparks my brain a little bit. I feel like if you didn't, if you didn't have the pre work before, like if you 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 might look at this and be like, what the fuck. Um, <laughs> But I, I love it. And I'm looking at it, and, and that was one of the first things I noticed. So on here we've got on so normally there's 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 the four, and now there's nine on his new album. So that was his new album. Fucking hell, what are we talking about? Yeah. Um, <laughs> on his on his album approach, whatever we want to call it. So there's one workers imagined, two workers prescribed, three workers disclosed, four workers analyzed, five workers observed six workers stimulated, seven workers instructed, eight workers measured, and nine workers judged. There's a hell of a lot more layers to it now. My response is, fucking hell, it was hard enough to explain before. Now it's like really hard. Yeah, to be honest, I think this comes back to my old... um, I I can never remember where I first heard this, but the, the old all models are wrong and some are useful. Yeah, yeah. I don't know who says that, but I use that all the time. Yeah, all the time, yeah. yeah. Because and this is kind of like like all models are workers. Yeah. Or, or, or yeah, very true. But they're all wrong because they they can't be completely accurate. What and so so in a sense, I think Stephen Shorrock's nine nine layers is like more accurate. Like maybe it's more yeah. true. But in a sense, I kind of feel it's less useful because we're getting to the point where you, I can't I can't remember nine things. I can barely remember four. <laughs> <laughs> like so uh you know that's it's great like it's a good yeah like it's a more detailed model but yeah maybe as models become more complex and more accurate they become maybe less useful in application but looking at these nine levels i think as i read them out i can really start now to see how the relationship with psychological safety in a hell of a lot of these lads whereas if we say works done works imagine i'm struggling to maybe start going where does psychological safety say now when we start to look at it as imagined prescribed disclosed analyzed observed simulated instructed and judged i'm like okay psychological safety is fitting in nearly every single one of those layers exactly exactly because because how are we gonna like so, so let's say we're um like we're interviewing we're interviewing someone to try and find out how the job is done and you know if if we're in an environment where there is a lack of psychological safety and someone's afraid that if they admit to not following the procedure they're going to there's going to be consequences career consequences financial consequences whatever yeah even just interpersonal consequences you know even just being judged and, and frowned upon like like they're not going to admit that they do it a bit different yeah the procedure and and then then how we how we prescribe the work is that gap is going to increase isn't it like we're so that the the gap between the two two types of work is going to be bigger and and that's damaging it's not only damaging our it's damaging our way that we can improve work we can't improve work if we can't imagine it accurately like we yeah in fact any improve what 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 you see a lot of the time in fact is is where we disclose the work or you know someone discloses the work it, it it's it's imagined it's described it's prescribed and then something has changed to improve the process but what actually we're doing is improving the the not real process and we're not we're not improving how it's actually done we're improving how it's imagined to be but maybe that improvement in practice doesn't work in practice it might even make it worse 
Mm. Or less safe, less efficient, or even just just harder to do. I, d- I just I don't think I've ever heard anyone explain it like that. But that one line that we can't we we can't improve what we can't imagine. So if we can't imagine work as it actually is done, we can't imp- improve work as it actually is done. Like I fucking love that. That <laughs> nice. That's really nice. Yeah. I think well, if you look at the prescribed thing, like, and I'm just thinking about my own experiences. If, if prescription is is me telling somebody how I want, I'm prescribing how the job is done. So I might be like doing that verbally as an example. In yeah. in this one, I'm prescribing to you, Tom, how I want you to do the work, and I'm your boss. Hierarchically, I'm your boss. Yeah. But you're a really dominant character, and I'm actually a little bit scared of you. Um, you're seven foot tall, built like a British shit house, and you do more time in your spare time. Um, and that's me. <laughs> <laughs> People listening and not have not watched any of this. I've got such a weird picture of you now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, you've had a couple of run-ins, and and you've you've won that uh, those run-ins a few times. And maybe to add more complexity, you're also really good friends with my boss. Yeah. Yeah. You're now a very very intimidating character, and it's my job to tell you how to do your job. Yeah. I've got prescribed to you how to do your job. I guarantee how I prescribe it to you versus how I prescribe it to Steve over here, who me and Steve get on like a house on fire. Steve's going to get much more detail than you are. Yeah. Yeah. Guaranteed. Because yeah. I don't want to talk to you. I'm scared of you. You don't want to talk to me. You're probably going to challenge me as soon as I say something. So I'm yeah. going to be like, all right, Tom, can you just go and do that job over there, please? Thank you very much. Bye. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And in, and, and in that in that scenario as well, you know the, the the person being told how to do the job is probably probably just hunting for for errors for mistakes for well that's yeah. not actually, that doesn't work like that like yeah. trying to you know looking out yeah. for, for for mistakes that the boss has made so you can point them out and yeah. that sort of dynamic is just it's destined for failure it's destined for for incidents it's destined for disaster because something is going to go wrong um but the converse of that also applies right because um so I uh, I was having this conversation with someone just a couple of days ago. In fact, in 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 relation to IT policies, so like IT and technical policies, right? right. And 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 they so we were talking about someone else who had a whole bunch of work to do to create a whole huge set of policies for an organization. Create like organization needs to comply with all this stuff. We need a load of policies to to, to in order to comply with it. So bring someone in. Who knows the regulations, the legislation, all this sort of stuff, or you know, good practice, ITIL and and cyber essentials and ISO and everything else. Write the policies for us. Okay, right. Well, that's going to take a certain amount of time. And also, and I was saying they're going to need to spend weeks on discovery and finding out how the process actually works. How do people actually do these jobs? How are backups run and all this stuff? Someone else is saying, no, 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 no. You know, you just need to look at the regulation and and like the rules and the laws then write the policies and then the people will just have to do the job according to that mm. i thought this is really interesting this is where if only it was that simple oh yeah <laughs> but this, and this is where we have a real and i think this is kind of old view new view kind of stuff like like are we are we setting the rules first and saying you've got to abide by the rules or are we looking at how the work is actually done and then highlighting any 
you know, deltas or differences, you know, be- between how it should be done and, and how it's done in practice. And then thinking, okay, well, maybe maybe it's done it yeah it probably is done in practice for a good reason for a bloody good reason in fact a lot of time in technology it's done in practice this way because the policies and, and rules were written 20 years ago when technology was completely different now yeah. we're in the cloud and you know people don't have backup tapes anymore and, and so if the policy says backup tapes need to be kept in a different site for for 41 days well we don't have backup tapes i don't know what to do mm. I mean, that's really interesting, actually, because my initial response was like, it depends on the rule. So if the if so, I think my my head went straight to like UK legislation. Excuse me, UK legislation for safety. I don't know anything about IT. Um, turn it off and turn it back on again. See if that works. So it's pretty much my extent. Um, but. My initial was my 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 mind went to like safety legislation. I was like, okay, could we? Do we do that? Could we do that? Blah blah blah. And our our rules are like really broad and vague and goal goal based is the technical term. So you couldn't go up to the worker and say, do that as reasonably and practicably as you deem possible. Like you just couldn't do it, could you? Right? No. So okay. So I was like, help and safety work out, not a good example. Noise at work regs, good example, quite quite clear and prescriptive. This level, do this. This level, do this. Quite clear and prescriptive. Doesn't work in the arts industry. Does not work in the arts industry. We had Dom- Dominique on the podcast. I talk about this a lot, but um had Dominique on the podcast like two, three years ago, um, talking about her experiences with, with a case um, with the Royal College of Arts or whatever, they were, I can't remember, the Royal Opera House. And and basically, they summarised, they they concluded that regulation is not fit for purpose because they were written based on factories and industry, not for arts. Yeah. And the predominant part of our economy now in in England in in the UK is what performing arts, probably music yeah. and yeah. industry, yeah. Not, yeah. not not factories, boot and shoe, steel, all all kind of gone. Yeah, well, and this, this is really interesting because this is where I learned a lot of, this is where I cut a lot of my teeth on on this sort of subject because I used to run, so I used to run technology at, at, the, at the Nottingham Arena. So it's like a, like a 10, 12,000 seat stadium um, um, rinks and retail shops and, and everything else. But we, you know, we'd, we'd be putting on gigs through gig season. It'd be gig, 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 gig every night. And we, we'd have bands like Ramstein with, you know, yeah. And like... <laughs> pyrotechnics and and just insane levels of noise and yeah that's like and we'd be you know we'd have earplugs and and ear defenders and stuff because we're we're doing it night after night one thing to go to a gig on one night and wake up with ringing ears the next day but if you're doing it every night you're gonna be in trouble quite soon but but of course yeah of course that sort of in terms of like health and safety at work noise rigs that's that's it's not compliant i'm gonna work i'm gonna work I, I feel obliged here to to tell a little story to shout out to a local gig venue because <clears throat> now I didn't know this, but now it's a legal obligation apparently for bars and venues and anywhere that plays live music to have hearing protection behind the bar. Never knew that. I, I, I don't know what regulation that's gone in because if it's in the safety regs, I, I did I missed it, <laughs> um, but I didn't know. But my brother-in-law, my my wife's family, all musicians, a lot of them. Yeah. My brother-in-law does loads of this stuff for his um for his work. 
we went and watched a, a gig together, me, my wife, father-in-law, and brother-in-law. And I was like, oh, shit, I forgot my fucking hearing protection. I, I'm hard of hearing already, so I, I've got two hearing aids on at the moment. Um, I'm proper I'm proper deaf. These are new, these ones. And uh, I've only just realised how fucking deaf I am. When I put these new ones on, I used to only wear one. I've got two now. I put them on. They, they're, this was only yesterday. And I was like, why is everything so loud? I was like, oh, my God. Like I've got I've got an envelope like a a brown paper envelope and I'm like crumpling it up and like oh my god it's so loud oh my god um, that's how deaf I am so when I go to a gig I I take it quite serious now ironically when I was a kid I didn't um, but I'm like I will always take my hearing protection with me and I just put them in yeah and I was like shit I didn't bring any we've been watching an ACDC tribute or something I think so I'm like this is gonna be loud um, and Theo my brother-in-law was like they've got they have some behind the bar so I went to the bar and said. Got any got any hearing protection? And the guy was like, uh, one second, I'll have a look. I'm not sure we do though. Went up, no, sorry, mate, we haven't got any. I was like, okay, no worries, whatever. Theo was a bit like, oh, it's against the law. And I was like, do my job for a couple of years and you'll realize the law don't mean shit, mate. <laughs> um, but fair enough. Five minutes later, the same barman that served me came over and brought me some. So he'd gone and found them, got oh, wow. some, come and found me in a packed venue. Gave them to me, and I just as you were t- talking about working in, we were talking about gigs and stuff. I thought, Do you know what? I don't know who that lad is, young lad, I don't know who he is, but he deserves a shout out. Like, w- well played, mate. Well played, yeah, yeah, that is cool. That is cool. But, uh, anyway, completely yeah, cool. peace. That was we're not yeah. here to talk about the noise at work, Rex. Um, right. but I think, and I think this is this is where it's I, I find this, this this whole idea really interesting because. We're kind of talking in one sense. We're talking about edge cases, like when we, particularly at a policy level, when we talk about work, we imagine well, there's a certain type of work, a certain type of workplace. We imagine we imagine offices, factories, maybe maybe hospitals, schools. Yeah. You know the sort of standard cut and paste almost like workplaces. But actually, actually, that's you know the the standard cut and paste workplaces are probably like one or two percent of the of the of the actual places that people actually spend most of their working lives. Yep. Um, and I'm reminded of the, um, I'm trying to remember the Toyota production system principle of being, getting as close to the work as possible to, to uh, sort of analyze work. Is it Genshi, Genshi Genbetsu? I'm going to say that wrong. <laughs> Not a clue, mate. Someone, someone in the comments will, will correct me on that. I'm sure. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, Tom, it's actually Genshi S Ushi. Yeah, all right, mate. Why is I think it's, I think it's like it's, it's Genshi Genbetsu or something like that. But okay, it's basically like getting as close as close to the work as possible to learn the most about work. You can only learn about work by getting as close to it as possible. Mm. So this is like so. The best way of doing it is by doing the work. Yeah. You know, the best way of learning about the work is by doing the work. Second best way is is observing the work and and interacting with the people doing the work. And then and then probably third best way is like asking like after the work, asking someone to describe to you how they did the work. And then you've got sort of degrees of distance. And this was all Taiichi Ono when he was in like inventing co-creating the, the Toyota production system. But there's an example of of he even he himself kind of neglected to follow this principle at, at, at all times and there was an example of when he was trying to 
make the production line more efficient. So he wanted, so he, he instructed some workers to operate two machines at a time. I can't remember, I can't remember what kind of machines they were. He instructed workers to operate two machines at a time when they, they were used to only working with one. But, but they had some slack time because they'd have to, you know, make the machine do something, wait for it to do the thing. Right. So, so he perceived this slack, this slack time as kind of, well, that means you can operate two machines at once, right? Yeah. Actually, these machines are really complex to use. You've got to keep an eye on them in case something goes wrong. And 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 so he didn't under he wasn't he didn't get close enough to the work to understand how it was actually done. And and this really riled up a lot of people in the factory because they suddenly they were told told to do a job that was not not the way it should be done in practice. And yes. and, and it kind of goes against the whole principle of of the people closest to the work best understand how to do the work. Yeah. Um, which is part of the, the another one of the principles, I think maybe the same one. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What um, how are we doing for time? <laughs> We've got some big questions. I was going to ask, I'm going to send us down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but I'm like, yeah. Is there anything else you want to cover on Workers Don't Workers Imagine before we get into the questions? Let's get into the questions. Yeah. I, I am interested in your rabbit hole. You can't plant that seed and then just... just... I, I, I'm not sure it's re- related <laughs> And we might end up going down a really big rabbit hole. The 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 big the, the, there's a lot of phraseology that comes out. There's a lot of one-liners that come out of New View. There's a lot of one-liners that come out of everything, right? But there's a lot of one-liners that come out of out of New View uh, and Hops. One of the things that have come out of it is this: what what kind of what you just said is that there's no one that understands work better than than the people doing the job. This seems to have evolved into there's no one that understands the safety of work than the worker doing the job. I think that's a misinterpretation. I think I've misinterpreted it myself. I think I vaguely remember me saying that as well. Like, if you want to understand the risks and hazards, go talk to a person that's exposed to those risks and hazards. And and I think I, I've been, I think I have got that wrong because I look at this now and I don't, I'm not, I don't think that's right, actually, because I think they understand work. I think they understand how the work is done better than anyone else because they do it. 100%. I'm telling you now, I could stand in a workplace and fucking show you that, that 90% of people know 10% of the hazards that they expose themselves to. They really don't understand them. And, and if you were just to start to talk about the, the health hazards and health risks, like no one understands construction dust, appreciates the risk of construction dust, the welding fumes, anything like that. You can, there's a big thing going on on TikTok of like people – welding really nice joints and mm-hmm. every single one of them no one's wearing rpe at all and and, and they're just that there is not this understanding of hazard so i i think that the worker understands work yeah not sure they understand the risk and the hazards and safety of work yeah well and but yeah exactly exactly and i think this is because it's, this is because work like safe work is when well no you don't understand. You can't perceive hazard in in a sense because because hazard is a is the absence of a bad thing happening, right? So so so, I mean, you can perceive that's maybe not a great way of putting it, but let's 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 put it like this. Like like so, I I'm I'm taking motorbike lessons at the moment, right? So I'm 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 taking a lot of motorbike lessons because I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but but what so one of the things is what you know one of the things that is drilled into you is to do um is to do like checks like safety checks over your shoulder checks um so whenever you're doing any sort of maneuver you're changing lanes you're taking you're making a turn you're coming off a roundabout whatever you, you, you look over your shoulder because there might just be a car or someone else or something trying to undertake or overtake you and that could end up in disaster now you could and actually, because because of the way motorbike tests have been done, it's only for fairly recent that you had to go through a lot of tests to, to pass. You you a lot of older motor, motorcyclists pretty much just got on a bike, and like barely had any lessons. So you could go your entire life just riding around, looking in the mirrors, never doing any any over the shoulder checks, um, and you're absolutely fine. You're absolutely fine. If, you know you've survived all that time. This is kind of survivorship bias, right? So yeah, you're you like. Yes, they might know how to ride a motorbike really well, but they don't necessarily know how to do it safely because if because they've never had that that bad thing happen to them. Frankly, if they'd had that bad thing happen to them, they might not even be here. So you've got to have someone who understands the risks to say, by the way, you should be looking over your shoulder because one time in a million, there's going to be a car coming around there and they'll and and you'll die. Yeah, and. So if, you, if you've never been exposed to it, you don't really understand. And, and that, that fundamentally is the is the issue with the health risks in a way, yeah. because you don't know it until 10 years later when you get diagnosed with cancer or whatever it is. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's it's invisible. And it's, it, it, yeah, you, you don't know the risk because the risk is later on. And it, and it, it might just be like a few seconds after the, the, the thing. Mm. Like if you don't look over your shoulder, on a motorbike or yeah like you say 10 years later when you've inhaled all the welding fumes and yeah you get cancer or something mm. and interesting so, yeah. psychological safety plays such a big part in that because that requires somebody to be able to bring awareness of that problem um and and it be a positive interaction so <clears throat> i really struggle with this concept of like don't walk by stop people if they're doing stuff because and, and this is quite a bit controversial. I'm not sure that I know there's a lot of people that don't agree with me. Unless you have a good presence of good psychological safety, like a nice culture within your organization where people are used to being challenged and comfortable being challenged, it never, ever results in a positive interaction, ever. You know, uh, that's why you're working on that ladder uh it's not tied off no one's footing it and uh you're completely unprotected what well, you need to get off that ladder please come down uh get off the ladder what what, what the fuck are you supposed to, what am i supposed to do i'm going right that's normally how it how it goes yeah. and and i just think i don't know many workplaces that have a good presence of psychological safety that enables you to go up and stop people doing work and say did you know Cause it's a really hard thing to do it's really hard thing to do, and it yeah yeah like exactly like that, and it requires so it requires a certain degree of of pre existing like the foundation of pre existing behaviors and cultures and expectations mm. to, to to almost explicitly to have an agree that this is how we're going to interact. We I like consent. If I'm up a ladder, I consent. I want you to point out if you if you spot yeah. me something dangerous i want you to do that i encourage you to do that and for the people who are doing that for the people who are pointing out oh you you haven't tied the ladder off the way you do that like the way you do that is oh did you you know maybe the way you do that is oh did you know that's not tied off by the way bob um 
Not yeah. you know, if you go up and say, Bob, what the fuck do you think you're doing? The lad is yeah. not you idiot. Well, you know, you've you've you've, you've conveyed the same information, right? Yeah. You've, but you, you know, you, you've started and you've 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 invited a negative. It's a kind of negative tone, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. even when I find people that are pretty good at approaching it, hi guys, can I can I borrow you for a second? Do you mind just coming down the ladder immediately? immediately it's bad like i can i can lick the tension in the air like i could just feel it um and i sometimes it depends on the situation sometimes i say don't get me wrong i'm not if if i think someone's gonna really fucking hurt themselves really dark i'm gonna stop it regardless of that but what i'm saying as as a as a as an approach within your organization like like things like don't walk by I just don't think it encourages the right environment unless you're going to put the years of work in up front that makes people comfortable to be challenged. Yeah. Additionally, you're if you're, so let's say, tying off a ladder, right, you're the manager that's resourcing that environment and you say, come down for a ladder, and they say, um, I say to you, it's not been t- tied off, and you say, well, yeah, that's because you cut our budget on ropes and chains and hooks and, and we're not allowed, we haven't got enough uh, rope or whatever to, to tie it off as long as I'm also comfortable to re- receive that feedback yeah, yeah. Um, which most of the time we're not so what normally happens is is all focus on that that person's behavior there is no consideration to the the wider context and it just becomes another vote towards a toxic blame culture uh, environment where the employee is just the, it's their fault their bad behavior it's yeah, all the yeah. time yeah, yeah. And I just don't think it helps whatsoever. No, exactly. It comes back to to a blame culture, and then it's sort of. I was going to say individual responsibility, but that like that's going to come off wrong because I, because we do have individual responsibility, but we also have to recognise that we exist in systems. We exist in socio technical mm-hmm. systems and systems of work, and and everything else that we like we are in charge yeah we're like we are in we we have agency but yeah but, we are, but we're restricted and influenced by everything going on around us mm-hmm. um one of the things you said just there was really interesting because i i it reminded me so i i also do a bit of bouldering and climbing and there's a climbing center near me and a few years back i remember i was having a go at one of my first goes at lead climbing the lead climbing i don't know if you've ever had a go at it but um so you're you're so you're climbing up. So there's there's safety. There's hooks like carabiners fixed to the wall, right, all the way up. But you climb up with your own ropes. So as you climb up, you're then clipping into to the carabiner as you go up. So so at, at one point you might be a few feet above the safety. Yeah. Um, and at one point you might just be about you know you might be just at at the safety at the next one. Yeah. But like your, your most dangerous point is when you're clipping on to the next one because that just before you do that your safety point is as far below you as you can get so if yeah. you fall you've got you're going to fall that much mm. and that much again before the rope gets tight yeah it's scary it's really it's really scary but what and i'd made a mistake so i'd i'd got up to one point and then looked down grabbed the rope but accidentally got the wrong bit of like the down bit of rope hooked down to the carabiner which meant that basically i'd have like an extra double section before it got tight and someone someone like someone just a complete stranger 
spotted what I'd done and shouted at me, like shouted in a firm but not assholey way that what I'd done and like stop, you know, unlatch that, put that back on, refix your safety. Um, because they spotted and and but because did in and what was really interesting and my point is that that climbing center, the vibe there, the culture there was very inclusive, very um friendly and and kind of collaborative and stuff like like you you wouldn't know most of the people there but everyone would always help each other out because the 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 culture was was set like that it was almost it was explicitly set like that and i think that's really powerful we don't we don't have to know people necessarily like it helps but we don't have to know people in order to to have that sort of culture it can be how how did you react tom sorry i interrupted you there but how did you how did you react and how did you feel in the, in that instant where someone had gone stop and you realize it's you at the top of this that the, there must have been some interpersonal feelings there oh God, yeah, personal yeah, yeah. yeah like i i felt like first of all i felt stupid but you know on reflection later on i was like i'm a, I, I'm a beginner like i'm still practicing i don't know what i'm doing um my b layer was also a beginner like we were practicing together so we so we we were trying to do everything safe, right? We had a B layer, we, you know, we were doing everything safe. But this is this is the thing, like the people closest to the work don't necessarily know that. And and um, so yeah, so I felt stupid straight away, but I also felt and I felt scared because until I refixed it, I was at risk. Like, You're fucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but I, but but I was incredibly grateful incredibly grateful because if i if i had if if they hadn't done that and i'd carried on climbing and i've got you know another 15 feet up and that makes 15 feet up there 15 feet and then you know you you, you're three feet above the ground before it clicks in i find this fascinating because when we talk about safety in the environment of a of a hobby we typically take it more serious i think personally we typically yeah. take it more serious than we do when we're in work. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I think we take more personal responsibility. Uh, so I, I do martial arts, right? So I do I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, not long. I've only been starting that, but I've, I've done martial arts for years, but I've, never, I've always wanted to do BJJ. Yeah. Those that don't know what BJJ is, it's like arm-breaking, choking people out, like – you're getting arms between your legs and you're trying to snap their arm, but you're not actually snapping your arm. There's like this, this unwritten rule. Don't get me wrong. It's martial arts. So you're always going to get the old dickhead, but mm. it's an unwritten rule. Like none of us are here to rip each other's arms off and, and crush each other's throats. So there is this kind of like, <clears throat> it's this kind of like thing where like you, you put a, you put a, like, let's say an arm bar, right? So I've got their, their, their arm, coming the wrong way round. It's hard to, it's upside down. So they're the underside of their elbow pit in a way is pointing upwards to the air and I've got their hand and then I'm going to push my hip through their elbow to try and pop their, yeah. <laughs> right. So that's like an arm bar. Yeah. yeah. Anyone that watches martial arts would be like, yeah, we all know what arm bar is James. Um, and so you're trying to do that. And I, I remember once I had this, this, this young lad and I've got this arm bar on and it was on. And, and and I'm pushing it, and I, I'm I'm going slow. I'm like, 
they're not fucking tapping. Like, what is going on? And sometimes in blokes as well, there's a bit of arrogance. Like, we want to go, oh, how fucking hard can I go? I'm I'm not being tapped. I'm like, you, the second you've got me, I'm like, tap, 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 tap. I'm like, get me out. I'm done. <laughs> Don't break my arm. Um, but and this this young lad, I was thinking he's young, he's male, he's surrounded by a lot of older blokes. Maybe he's trying to prove himself or whatever. And I'm going. Turns out he was just super dexterous, proper flexible. And he was oh. like, nah, "I'm cool." I was like, "Are you right, mate?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, keep going." I'm like, Are "You sure?" He's like, "Yeah, I got proper flexible arms, mate." And I'm like, and I went a little bit more, and then I was like. I'm done. I'm happy. I've got the lock, but like, I don't want to snap your arm. Like if you think you're dexterous, that's cool. But there is this, and I've had people do that with me where, where where they've got me in something. I've made a noise or something and they stop and they go, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I just coughed. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Or or something like that. Um, Yeah. There is this unwritten rule and we take it very seriously. Um, I find it really interesting if I was in work, I'm not choking people's out our work, but like if you're at work and you say to someone you haven't tied that ladder off, they don't they don't feel that sense of respect and thanks that you described where they go, Oh, yeah, thank you. I could have really hurt myself, fell off that ladder. I don't think people think no. that. No. I think people go fucking off and so do you. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think it's yeah, that's an interesting point. And because I because I so my my other hobby is well, one of my other hobbies is, is mountain biking and Mm. mountain biking is obviously so you know you wear you wear helmets you wear pat well knee pads at least your gloves and stuff so there's there's you know there's the protection stuff and it comes it kind of almost seems weird like you're throwing yourself down a hill and you know you're riding around in, in the middle of the mountains and stuff and you're doing something sort of inherently risky but you're also trying to sort of mitigate that risk by by mm. wearing and doing stuff um and so t- two things come to mind one is that when like almost it's an unwritten rule but it is an absolute rule that if you come across another mountain biker by the side of the trail who's like stopped sitting down maybe they're fixing the bike you always ask you always ask are you okay do you need anything is there anything i can get for you like whatever you always ask i Um, do road biking in the summer i don't do it i don't do it in the winter i'm not that i'm not that kind of weirdo um and it's the same it's the same you got you got a puncher you're sitting down the road even if you're just having a break because you're unfit like me they will they will just slow yeah you're right yeah. mate and i'm always like i'm fine just unfit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly and i think there's this really there's this there's this culture and it's just like that climbing culture like we don't we've never met each other we're complete strangers mm. but, but we have but we sort of feel safe to 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 ask that and suggest that and ask you okay, okay because there is this sort of social contract that we've written already but like we haven't like written it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where does this come from though? Like, and why doesn't it exist in work? I, I, yeah. I, 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 this is the interesting question because I, we, I mean, I mean, maybe it's a, maybe it's because we're drawn to our hobbies and we're sort of doing them voluntarily and we're sort of not doing work voluntarily. Mm. You know. Uh, I, do you think? But, do you think hierarchies play a role in it as well? There's not really a high. Well, there is in martial arts. There's a hierarchy, but cycling is not really a hierarchy, is there? And like, I don't know. Maybe there's like a social hierarchy, but like, yeah. there is no. There's a there's a there's a collectivism. There's a collectivism to to hobbies and 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 things like mountain biking, cycling, yeah. climbing, surfing. I know is the same. Like like surfers, yeah. will, you know, if they see someone in in bother, they're straight out. Yeah. And, 
and most sports are the uh, same and any sports with any degree of danger um and but yeah i wonder if it's because it's something we enter into voluntarily yeah. i know we sort of we, you know we're not you know we're not i mean we're compelled to work but we're not compelled to work there. yeah but yeah, yeah. There's a lot in that, isn't there? Yeah. Rugby, rugby is the same. I played rugby for years, and and that's exactly so. I've I've been in a, a top. I've been in a ruck where somebody's leg folded back on themselves. Yeah, and, and we heard it snap. You've never seen a bunch of blows move quicker. Like everyone, like I, he was the poor lad was right. I tackled him, mm. and and he went down. And then three of my lads went in to try and turn the ruck over. Three of their lads went in. This was like social rugby, so they're all fat people basically. And it and it's not a ruck at that level. Is what what they call it in rugby is a ruck. It's not a ruck. It's a fucking pylon. And it was just and I just heard it, and I was like. Oh, everybody up. And then everyone was like, yep, everyone was up. Like there was loads of us shouting, get away, get away. The ref came over. We were like, fucking man. And everyone just comes on it. Like, and we had like three games going on that day. And like within, within a couple of minutes, the first team game stopped. Second team game stopped. And we had an ambulance. The whole club just, just switched on. Big incident. Uh, Off we go. Um, and it very much sound, and I'm not saying I'm not saying a workplace wouldn't do that I think if something goes wrong in a workplace I do think we tend to come together there's this sense of camaraderie but I, I don't think it's there until that happens it's not there before in that moment where we go like your story if that was in the workplace I'm not sure the res- I'm not sure the person would feel uh, do you know what I don't even go so far to say Tom I'm not sure you would feel the same at work mm. and you're quite mature in, in this way of thinking. I think maybe we could even feel, we could even suffer from this. There's this weird thing that when we step into work, we've become a bit of a different person. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a degree of that. And there's definitely, and I'm wondering if there's a sort of bit of um, almost uh, we're, we're becoming a bit sort of, parent child like in in, mm. in work because because we perceive that there is we perceive all the policies procedures we perceive that there is that you know our employer is there to look after us and 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 protect us and we should come to harm through work and and we, we sort of have this belief that work should be safe and work is safe and maybe that's the difference you know we we mm. we perceive work to be safe um and work should be safe you know, when you're playing rugby or riding a mountain bike or going climbing, you know you're entering into a, an activity that is inherently risky. Yeah. yeah, and you enter into this social contract. And I think it. I think it is a social contract. Yeah. Like you said, there is this social contract that, like, hey, look, none of us blame for England here. We're we're, we're barely even playing for the town we live in. <laughs> honest, yeah. like we're we're here to have a bit of fun, yeah. play a sport that we love do a sport that you love, whatever. And you are, you're going to work on Monday. Accidents happen 100%. Get it. This ain't no zero harm rugby. Like we, we're playing, we are trying to hurt each other in a way. We're not trying to hurt each other, but we're trying to dominate each other. Um, There is a social contract, but, and interestingly, when you get, I mean, I remember playing in Bedford once and there was this one guy that he was there to hurt people. And a few people fell, we'd had a few scraps going on. Do you know what? 
both teams kind of came together and was like, you need to piss off, mate. Like even his own team were like, you you need to piss off. Um, and because it's a social contract, like we're not here to, I mean, it, coincidentally, I can speak first case of this because the guy punched me in the face and knocked me cold out. Um, cold oh. out. I was gone. Wow. Like yeah. it was a little bit of my own arrogance as well in that he was coming to, smashed me basically and I stepped him and I was like <laughs> and I made a noise or and wound him up or something. So he just spun around and went bang and I went <laughs> gone. I was gone. A proper sparked out right on the chin. And um and yeah he was he was got red card and off and even his team were like yeah you need to back off mate. Um so there is this social contract that we yeah. that we go into that this camaraderie where we're looking after each other. I just don't see it at work. Well, yeah, and I think this is this is the thing, and we should we should get to these questions now because I think the social the social contract point, and that because a lot of my work, a lot of the work I do, is around creating implicitly or explicitly the social contract for a team, for an organization, for yeah. whatever it is, and that is like coming back to psychological safety. The social contract is such a foundational element of psychological safety because without mm. it. We don't know what's safe to say. We don't know what's safe to do or speak up or yeah. question. We don't know where the boundaries are. So, yes, it's absolutely fundamental. I told you we shouldn't go down the rabbit hole. We've just <laughs> wasted that. Like the so, any particular person's question you want to start on? Or if not, I'll just pick one. You choose. You choose. I'm. I'm. I'm, keep, I'm keen to. I'm trying to find one if we've got one that flows really smoothly off of. I'm going to start with Victor Tyler, actually, at the bottom of my page, not for any reason. Um, So Victor Tyler has asked, the practice of safety seems to have proven that directing slash controlling an individual's behavior is exceedingly difficult. Is the same true of an individual's feelings? Behaviors are at least observable. How does one measure the efficacy of efforts to build psychological safety? Is feeling safe to speak up uh, or report the only measure? Yeah, so this is it's a good question. I'm trying to sort of get all the parts in, in my head in the right order. Um, yeah, so controlling controlling or directing an individual's behavior is exceedingly difficult. I think that that language itself is quite interesting. Um, the is the same true of an individual's feelings. Well, no, like we definitely can't control someone else's feelings. We can influence someone's feelings. We can certainly, you know, we can even knock people out. We, you know, our behavior, <laughs> what the things that we do can definitely influence how people feel. Yeah. Uh, but we can't necessarily control it. We might say something that we think is going to make someone happy, but in fact, it makes them sad um behaviors are observable yeah uh how does me- one measure the efficacy of efforts to build psychological safety is feeling safe to speak up that would put the only measure so i think the one of the interesting things is that there is that we like we can ask people if they feel psychologically safe we could do that we could say how safe do you feel to speak up ask questions raise concerns maybe maybe we ask separate questions and gauge their their response well and that like we could do that but but the part of the problem is, well, there's a couple of issues there. One is that the presence or absence of psychological safety will influence how they answer that mm. question. Mm. So, so it's so it's kind of a bit of a catch twenty two almost. Um, another another point is that that doesn't tell us what to do. It doesn't tell us 
what's wrong or, or or how to fix anything. It doesn't tell us anything about the context. We we have to ask another question in order to know how to remedy it. Another point is that psychological safety isn't the goal. Like we're not we're not striving. You know, we're, we're psychological safety is is a it's a nice thing to have for sure. Like we want it. Like we're in. You know, we want to be happy. Um. But psychological safety in an organization or a team is not the goal. The goal of a sports team is to win the competition. The goal of a, of a of a business is to make money or something like that. The goal of the the health system is to save people's lives and and extend people's healthy lives and stuff like that. So so our goal is whatever the whatever our goal is. Psychological safety is the vehicle through which we we can help mediate and, and affect that. Mm-hmm. So so I would say the if we're trying to measure the efficacy of efforts to build psychological safety one of the ways in which we we do that is to measure our effectiveness towards the goal um over a de- over over a decent period of time because we can th- there are other ways in which we can achieve that goal like we can achieve a goal in the short term through fear yeah. we can punish people and and create dreadful consequences if people fail to meet their sales target for example yeah out in that quarter and this is what you see this is what you this is why like sales teams have such high turnovers and churns and, and stuff like that right because people because the because the the short termism in that approach achieves the target in the short term but it doesn't achieve the goal in the long term mm. over a longer period we need to foster effective cultures and practices and so one of the ways that i do this is to measure, sort of measure, but in a qualitative way, the um, propensity, the capability, and the frequency of the behaviours that both foster psychological safety and are enabled through psychological safety. Things like learning from from mistakes, learning, so reporting incidents, learning from incidents, the, the capabilities and practices that we use as a team to to take an incident and go, okay, right, what can we learn from this? The yeah. better a team is at that, the better we're going to achieve our goal. And like you can see if you can see through that practice whether psychological safety exists in the room. Now that, that's not our goal, but but you know, we can see that that's at work there. I also think because <clears throat> what you kind of said there, that that kind of quantitative measure of the uh, quality qualitative measure, sorry, of the behaviors or interactions or whatever that that contribute positively to psychological safety. I, I kind of do will will talk to customers in a similar way when we talk about culture. And I would say like, look, everything's a trade-off, right? So if you want to be a resilient organization, that means you're less efficient because resilient is having loads of capacity to adjust and loads of slack. And efficiency is about being lean and and just enough just in time. So you can't be both. Mm. One or the other. There are some things in your organization that need to be resilient. There are some things in your organization that need to be efficient. So we don't want to be a resilient or an efficient organization. We want to be fucking both, right? So you're trying to balance the two. So the the way is you kind of would would describe the things that you want as your culture. So if you want to have a psychologically safe culture, right, as an example, I'm not a massive fan of the word culture, but let's just go with it because everyone knows it. Yeah. psychologically safe culture you want in your organization okay fine 
So let's identify the trade-off of that. And let's identify the, the behaviors that fit under each each one of those trade-offs. Right. So you want to have a real hierarchical command and control. So there are benefits to a hierarchical command command and control approach. We're in an emergency situation, fuck psychological safety, tell me what to do and I will do it. Yeah. If we're trying to improve and evolve, then I want a democracy. I want some different opinions and stuff. There's a balance. So listing off these and we call them votes, votes towards the culture one and the scale sometimes tips to psychological safety and sometimes tips towards fear and demand and fear and control or whatever. And it's, it's this constant, like a, like a temperature gauge of a nuclear plant. It's up and it's down, it's up and it's down, it's up and it's down. And so I, I I think when I read his, when I read Victor's comment, it's just like remove the word goal would be my first thought. Just to get rid of the word goal and just have this, this kind of, indicator of where are we where are we at this moment yeah okay cool where have we been over the last month and you just imagine this kind of like you know when you have like an ecg or whatever it is and it's going like a lie detector test yeah, yeah. kind of going like that like if if you're only deviating a little bit and you're just bouncing where you want to be then that's great but if you're starting to see a load of peaks and you're coming further and further away from the line that's how I'd like to see us measuring organizations yeah. and risk and things yeah. like psychological safety that Harder to manage, and like, I'm also not a fan of having a goal. Like, even if, if we're going to talk about resilience, like, yep, we're a resilient organization because we're at level five of the resilience ladder. Mm-hmm. Like, cool. is he going to fucking stop now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think this is well, so. One of the things you so that that chart that you described, the sort of wavy line chart that it maybe is trending up. So yeah. that, that, that and that reminds me of statistical process control, which is another kind of the operational uh, research things that I'm really geeky about. But <laughs> I, I, I find that really interesting because this kind of comes into common cause and special cause and Deming's stuff. And like w- what we're looking for is a is a common cause effect through the organization that we can continue to drive increasing psychological safety. Those spikes yeah. might be special cause. They might be one-off events that 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 yep. damage or, or helps us along the way. Um, um, the other, I, I can't remember the other point I was going to make, but it was really good. That's cool. Um, we're running out of time. We've got loads of questions anyway. Um, we're not going to get through all of these at all. Um, so I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick Carol's next. Um, Carol McMullen has asked a, an interesting question. In Achieving Psychological Safety, Amy Edmondson, in her book, The Fearless Organization, discusses high-performance teams and being able to speak up at all levels and raise issues without fear. Given diversity, um, personal attributes such as ego, agency, ambition, different leadership styles, etc., what strategies do you think be put in place um, to encourage such an environment? I think this is quite similar to Bill's as well. So, because with Bill's also talking about kind of diversity, so I'm, I might just read Bill's question out as well. I know that's a lot for you, Tom. <laughs> like two really big in-depth questions, but they feel quite similar for me. Uh, Bill Stetner, um, who I know quite well um, through through WhatsApp and the amazing digital world we live in, Bill has said. How can we plan for psychological safety for people that have similar backgrounds and perspectives as us and people that have completely different backgrounds and perspectives as this at the exact same time? So I think they're both kind of talking about Bill's kind of coming as a background and, and perspectives. And then I think Carol's kind of coming at the same question, but from a more personal traits kind of point of view. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this is this is this is really interesting. This is some of the this is probably some of the most interesting work to do around psychological safety and culture because particularly now, particularly now that we have teams, distributed teams, remote teams that encompass people from all over the world, right? So we've got people from different cultures, different socio socioeconomic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, different abilities, uh, neurodiversities uh and and perspectives and contexts so we're all coming to this with with really different ideas and sort of backgrounds and and takes on stuff like back in the day i, I say back in the day maybe even just 10 years ago many teams were very not homogenous but 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 more similar because yeah. you might be in the same town you're doing the same you you know you're doing you've got the same skills if maybe yeah. from school you know so so we're now dealing with with much more diversity than maybe we're used to in the past. Yeah, yeah. And it's very much like back in the day, you do used to have, there's a town just around down the road for me called Corby. It, it's yeah. a steel town. So, yeah. and everyone's Scottish. Everyone had a really thick Scottish accent. If anyone drives through Northamptonshire, you'll know Corby, right? Because like everyone kind of sounds like me, this weird little bit Cockney, little bit farmer accents, kind of what our, our accent's like. And then all of a sudden you go to this town and it's like, hey, Jim, you're me, how you doing? And you're like, the fuck? That's a really bad accent. <laughs> but you're just yeah. like, what the shit? It's yeah. this weird, it's this weird, it's very Scottish, but it's not quite a Scottish accent. And it's very strange. And that's because a load of Scots came down with the steel trade. They lived in that town and everything there is Stuart and Lloyd's, Stuart and Lloyd's Rugby Club, Stuart and Lloyd's Football Club. And they were a steel company. And you would live in that company, you would in that in that town, you would work at Steel and Lloyd's, you would go to the club at Steel and Lloyd's, you would play rugby for Stuart and Lloyd's. Everything. So you were all very homogenous, like you say. Exactly, exactly. And and that homogeneity fosters a kind of almost shortcut to psychological safety. Because the yeah. and is it so uh, Amy Edmonton, uh, Henrik um Bresman have, have have done there's in, there's a lot of research on this there's one study by Edmonton Bresman that, that highlights performance and diversity and psychological safety as a mediator and and what's interesting is that diversity itself without psychological safety inhibits performance because and and you can sort of imagine how this this works um, right because because we're coming from different perspectives, different languages, different capabilities, and mm -hmm. different contexts. So, so we, we we don't have a sort of shared language. We don't have a shared set of practices. We don't have a shared background or context. Um, but when we when we put some effort in to create a, a culture of psychological safety, where where we're we're allowed to sort of say things that might seem a bit weird to other members of the team because it's a I don't know, it's a local colloquialism mm -hmm. or, or, you know, our way of, uh, the, the way we're used to doing things over here is like this and the way they're used to doing things over here is like this. And so, we, but we've got the safety to talk about that and safety to, to come up with shared ways of doing things. And I think mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing. Like it, it's one of the most powerful things we can do in these diverse groups is to, is to talk about that, that diversity, talk about that, our backgrounds, our contexts, our, our ways of working, and and preferences and styles and stuff. So, so again, so one of the things I do quite a lot is um, personal user manuals, personal user manuals and team charters. The personal user manuals, if done well, 
a great way of 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 sort of describing the way you like to work, the way you like to do things, your you know when you like to work, how you like to work, what what you're good at, what you're what you're trying to get better at, all this sort of stuff. Um, how you like to communicate, how often you like to communicate, whatever it is. And everyone starts sharing these and talking about them and having conversations about them. And they're, and they're living, evolving documents. Um, you know, they're not set in stone. Um, and then we can use that and use that same narrative and conversation to create a team charter, which is kind of a, like a social contract as well as a team charter. So team charter describes our shared, our shared norms, our shared behaviors, our shared expectations. And that kind of creates this bridge across the different perspectives and cultures. Wow. It, doesn't, it doesn't try to squash them away. It doesn't try to sort of push them down or eradicate them, but it means that we can we can make best use of them and 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 work with them in, wow. in shared explicit ways. And wow, that's amazing. But I think that really comes into what Carol was talking about as well there then. So would you start to be able to highlight personal you, you said about communication preferences and like when you to find the thing the thing that's coming to mind here actually when you, you're talking about that stuff and thinking about Carol's point on like our own personal traits ambition um attitude ego you know the disc profiles and stuff yeah. that people do right that's very much what that does right it tells me what kind of I'm a C because I like loud socks or whatever the stupid thing is or I'm Simba from Lion King and all of yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I do find I do I, I find them quite fun to do, but then they just sit there and they do fuck all. Yeah, and yeah. and I've always thought when when you see people actually use them, it's for the complete wrong thing. It's like, oh, to being a manager, you have to be this category yeah. and that category. I'm like, no, I'm not really sure that's what this is for. But I've always wondered if we utilize them as a team to go, oh, hang on a minute. I know that Tom is an A and I'm a C. That for I need therefore I need to approach Tom a little bit different to how I might approach someone else and Tom needs to approach me a little bit. I can feel like that's where they could be um, yeah. really beneficial. And that sounds a little bit like your team charter and your yeah. team, your personal personal manuals. Yeah. What I so I've I've got a I have a bit of a beef with with all these sort of psychometric and personality testing things because part of it part of it is that part of it is that a lot of them are monetized and black boxy and and uh, and i don't i don't trust anything where i can't see what the algorithm is making decisions about me and how it's making decisions yeah so, uh you know, i don't really engage with that um my but, main personal experience with it it was used to uh to give me less of a salary when i uh, got ahead get ahead of job we absolutely. were going to give you this uh that's why we're not the top of the, the bracket um but but after the psychometric, you you need some work on, on being a manager. And I'm just like, that well, exactly. exactly. And this is why I got pretty good at gaming those tests. And, and so, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Because well, it's easy, right? So, but but what's, what's and, and so they're nonsense because, like, this is going to, this is going to wipe people up in the, in the comments, I'm sure. But you've like, already pissed off shitloads of people by saying they're nonsense. <laughs> they're, but, I can hear them now with the pitchforks. But, why why ask for loads of proxies for personality traits instead of just asking people how they like to communicate and how they like to work like i i can write down in a personal user manual and have a conversation with someone about you know i like to catch up with my my manager at least once a week i'd like to have i'd like to do a little report once a week one to one catch up 
I like to do one-to-ones outside the office environment because I, I want to get out of the office, maybe walking. You know, I, I prefer, I'm better at working in the afternoon than in the morning, um, all this sort of stuff. Like that's so much more valuable than than something that asks me some question that's supposed to have some correlation with some other personality type. Yeah, yeah. Conversation about what we want to do. Do you, do you need psychological safety first to have that conversation to tell for me to feel comfortable tell you how I want to communicate though? A bit of both. It's it is it's definitely a bit of both. Like like if you if you were in an environment where you really had like very little psychological safety, then good luck doing but definitely good luck doing um personal user manuals effective personal user manuals but you've got to start somewhere so so this is why they're living breathing documents because as we have those conversations as we share them around and 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 we we don't always know ourselves well enough to to like this is work as imagine versus work as done kind of this is how i imagine myself to be versus how i actually am but um so as we're writing and as we're talking about it that's going to change and evolve and, and we're going to change something and realize we're not actually like that or whatever it's interesting i really i really like the idea of it i really like it i feel like it requires sorry for my hearing aid was whistling um i i feel like it's interesting isn't it because you've got it you've got to be comfortable telling your boss things maybe that you're not quite good at or that they might not agree with or something. And I don't know. Like, and, and when yeah. there's that feeling that like, Oh, are they going to judge me because I, because I'm not a very good communicator and then are they going to come back to me? And this comes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, that, that votes thing is that the second you might do something like that. And if I feel comfortable tell you, I'm not a very good communicator. The second you use that against me, you've now got a vote to discourage psychological safety. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's, so there's two important points there. So one is one is that the the boss, the manager, or whoever should be doing this as well for sure. There's there's actually a, 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 I have a template for this, which is a, a like a manager manual, which is which which describes oh, wow. how a, how a, so if it's for a manager to describe how they will manage and do stuff and and it's, yeah. um, and stuff like that. Another, but but the probably more crucial point is that particularly in terms of communication, I don't believe anyone is a good or bad communicator. But but in the personal user manuals, we describe how we yeah. how we are best at communicating. Someone over here might be best at communicating in in written format. Someone else might be best at communicating in verbal. Someone else might be best at communicating in sketch notes. What well, like mm-hmm. um, we we all have our preferences and styles, and their strengths. You know that. So um, I, and but once we start to articulate that, once we start to make it explicit and talk about it. We're not trying to put like this is the whole like don't measure a fish by how good they are at riding a bicycle. Like yeah. once once someone if someone tells you my preferred way of communication is is through written format because that way I can best get my heads out on paper, my, my thoughts out on paper and, and 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 juggle them and put them in the right place. Well fine, then then we'll do that. Mm. But you know, so so you're talking about what you're good at and what your preferences are, not necessarily what you're what your weaknesses are i mean you, you might you might talk about what you're trying to get better at and that's cool but that's so that someone can help you improve at that and yeah and, man- and a manager someone someone in a, high, a, a position of status would do the same wow wow amazing um <clears throat> i think i've said this at the end of every episode tom but i genuinely could talk to you for a millennium i really could um 
it's been an absolute pleasure. This is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should. Uh, yeah, I want to carry on, but we can't. Yeah, I really. Yeah, I can't. I've got a shoot, um, and you've you've got a shoot as well. Um, <clears throat> Tom, if people want to learn more from you, they want to work with you, so on. What does that look like? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Best way is to like di- like direct way. Just email me at tom at psychsafety uh, or you can head over to the website psychsafety uh, and dive in. There's all the there's loads of resources and the newsletter and the community and meetups and all sorts of stuff. So if you're just sort of taking tentative steps, uh, then just head over there and 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 see what see what see what starts to make you feel safe. Try try before you buy, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for being a <clears throat> quarterly co-host and 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 getting through three episodes. I, I think I think anyone that really is is struggling to get their head around psychological safety, I'm hoping that they got a hell of a lot out of this. So thank you very much for that, Tom. You are a geek. You're um you definitely are a geek. Um, but that's good. The world needs more geeks, mate. So thank you very, very much. Um, been an absolute pleasure to get to know you and learn some more about psychological safety. Uh, it's been a pleasure, mate. It's yeah, I've really, really appreciated it and I've really, really enjoyed it. So yeah, I, I genuinely really appreciate it and and yeah, uh, it means a lot. Yeah. Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you very much for being patient. Thank you very much for listening. Again, apologies for the delay. We're trying really hard to find ways to stay more consistent with the podcast back to uh, where we were um, and get consistently putting them out on Mondays um, like we have done for five years to date. We're just... We're just so busy at the moment. Um, we're just absolutely rammed trying to trying to get it out. And the podcast keeps falling foul of that, which it shouldn't. And we keep telling ourselves it shouldn't. We love doing it, but it's freaking hard work. So again, apologies. Uh, like I said, quarterly co-host has paused, but that does not mean that you can't come on the podcast. If you want to come on the podcast, please don't feel like you have to be a speaker or an academic or a consultant, a freaking entrepreneur, rugby player, fucking celebrity whatever you don't you are a celebrity in your own world and your opinion your perspective is really important to us so please come on the podcast like if you've got something to that's just annoying you or you did a post on linkedin you want to talk about it a little bit more you've seen a post on linkedin you want to talk about it some more something happened at work that you want to talk about it there are ways to do it without going through the comms team and all of that stuff but ultimately we want to hear your perspective about working in safety working with safety whatever it is risk management culture doesn't matter don't feel like you have to come on and talk about the airy fairy kind of uber woke new view safety stuff you know we haven't really had a technical conversation in a long time so if you want to come on and talk about something technical um let's do it it's just a chat so please drop me an email james at riskfluentltg.com if you want to come on the rebranding safety for a chat maybe there's a few of you that you're like ah you know us three mates we're always chewing the fat about about um about safety remember we do this on rebound safety with james yeah bang on like come on over uh, drop me a line or you can dm me on linkedin thank you very much check out some of the other social media platforms as part of trying to trying to improve rebound safety and get consistent with the podcast we're also trying to increase the amount of stuff we do on twitter tiktok instagram youtube shorts as well so keep your eye out there make sure you follow us on all of those platforms if you follow me on all of those platforms uh, make sure you subscribe if you're on youtube and keep an eye on that stuff and feedback yeah if you like a style of stuff and we've been playing around with how we make videos um i'm trying to do it whilst i'm on the road tell me what you think about that do you like it 
don't you like it please say you like it because it's so much easier <laughs> um, but otherwise I'll catch you next week don't forget to check out riskfluentltd.com if you need help with any of this stuff and check out the next episode which will be a diary episode hopefully see you later safe the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. Thank <laughs> you.